Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Wednesday, August 18th. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. Uncertainty and fear still circulating in Afghanistan as the Taliban moves to consolidate power and form a new government while U.S. evacuation efforts continue. The governor of Texas tests positive for COVID-19 after banning mask mandates in the state as the Biden administration begins the push for booster shots to combat the Delta variant. And extreme weather continues impacting the U.S. with wildfires ravaging western states as tropical storms slam the southeast coast. Those details and so much more today on U News. We begin with the crisis in Afghanistan. The U.S. is scrambling to evacuate Americans as the Taliban tightens control. Taliban leaders holding a press conference trying to reassure the world. However, the situation on the ground is still chaotic and many people are just desperate to escape. As the Taliban's grip on Afghanistan tightens, as many as 11,000 Americans and tens of thousands of Afghans still on the ground, desperate to leave the country. So far, the United States government able to evacuate 3,200 citizens, including all U.S. embassy personnel. But for those Americans still in the country, a safe exit can be attempted at their own risk. An email to U.S. nationals saying, the United States government cannot guarantee your security as as you make this trip. Their safety needs to be their top priority. Uh, if they feel that it is unsafe for them to make their way to the airport, they should not seek to do so. With more troops on the ground in Kabul, the U.S. is planning to launch one flight per hour with evacuations expected to reach up to 9,000 people per day. But in order to reach an evacuation flight, those trying to leave must first pass through Taliban-controlled civilian areas to later access the U.S. checkpoint on the military side of the airport. For now, the Taliban only letting foreigners through. In their first press conference since seizing power, the Taliban promising amnesty for all those who have worked with American and NATO forces, vowing not to hunt them down or seek retribution. We are assuring the safety of all those who have worked with the United States and allied forces, uh, whether as interpreters or any other field that they have worked with them. Uh, as for their talents and their skills, we do not want them to leave the country. We want them to serve their own homeland. However, the situation on the ground paints a different picture. Videos show violence on the streets. Reporters on the scene describe a wild, dangerous and almost out of control situation near the airport. The Taliban there are having to deal with massive crowds surging forward. But some witnesses say the Taliban's response is beating some people or firing automatic weapons over their heads. Parts of the Afghan security forces fought bravely but they were unable to secure the country because ultimately the Afghan political leadership failed to stand up to the Taliban and to achieve the peaceful solution that Afghans desperately wanted. Thousands of Afghan women and girls are also terrified, now sheltering in their homes. And now they're seeing you know, the education, the career that they fought so hard for um, just disappearing overnight. Meanwhile, the White House is doing damage control, following blowback from lawmakers, war veterans and the international community over how the U.S. handled this withdrawal of American troops.
Well, President Joe Biden is back at the White House after a stay at Camp David. And today, after nearly 20 years spent in hiding, the Taliban leadership touched down in Kandahar's airport. The movement's supreme leader and political chief have now returned to rule a country of nearly 40 million people. Meanwhile, Afghanistan's former president, Ashraf Ghani, is in the United Arab Emirates. This is according to its foreign ministry. News of his whereabouts comes days after he fled Kabul. The Biden administration expected to make a booster shot, an official recommendation today. This, as the Delta variant now accounts for 99% of all new cases nationwide and the governor of Texas testing positive for COVID-19. Lorraine Cassidy has the latest details. Breaking news overnight, the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, testing positive for COVID-19. He is vaccinated and asymptomatic for now. He has banned mask mandates in his state. The Delta variant now accounts for nearly 99% of COVID-19 cases in the U.S. Meanwhile, as early as today, the Biden administration expected to address the country about booster shots and their recommendation that all Americans get one eight months after they got their second dose of the Pfizer or Moderna vaccines. The expected new guidance comes as Israeli scientists released new data showing Pfizer's vaccine was less effective at preventing severe COVID symptoms among those 65 and older who were fully vaccinated in January. We're picking up evidence of it, certainly through breakthrough cases, and so the level of effectiveness has gone down from over 90% to 40 to 50% and possibly breakthrough hospitalizations. Meanwhile, cases exploding. Deaths now stand at approximately 500 each day, up over 130% since last month. ICUs across five states now more than 90% full. The strain strengthening in Mississippi. The University of Mississippi's medical center now forced to build a second field hospital. In Detroit, a city clinic offering third doses of booster shots opening strictly for the immunocompromised. In the Tampa area in Florida, more than 8,000 students and faculty are in quarantine just a week into the school year. In Louisiana, doctors noting a change in who they are treating. Something that's so different than last year. You know, last year was lots of patients with comorbidities. The patients we're seeing now are um, about 10 years younger as, as an age group. We're seeing 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds on ventilators. Meanwhile, Pope Francis is urging everyone to get vaccinated against COVID-19. In a video message released Wednesday, the Pope saying getting vaccinated is, quote, an act of love. And the federal government has confirmed that it is extending its requirements of masks in planes, public transportation, trains, and buses until January of 2022. In Miami, Florida, Lorraine Caceres, U News. Thank you, Lorraine, for that report. And the CDC is upping its forecast for COVID hospitalizations and deaths. The agency now believes up to 664,000 deaths will be reported by September 11th. So far, there have been more than 623,000 deaths. According to the American Academy of Pediatrics, COVID cases among children are also increasing. Health experts had hoped to get a threshold of the population vaccinated right in time for the new school year, but so far only 50.9% of the population is fully vaccinated and cases are once again on the rise.
And in Texas, the COVID-19 surge there could be worse than anything the state has seen yet. More Texas hospitals are reporting a shortage of ICU beds than at any other time since the COVID-19 pandemic hit the state 18 months ago. Pedro Rojas reports on this crisis. The health crisis caused by the new wave of COVID cases in Texas is escalating. There are almost 12,000 people in Texas hospitalized, more than 5,000 new cases reported daily. And the governor, Greg Abbott, has also tested positive after attending a Republican Party gathering in North Texas where the majority did not wear a mask. Gabriel Lopez, who overcame COVID after several days in an intensive care unit, described what he experienced. People everywhere mad mad uh and then of course nurses too putting up with it doctors everybody and people just dying left and right the state of texas in anticipation to more death requested five mortuary trailers from the federal government gabriel lopez told us what his days were like in the hospital so it's like whatever they give you it's gonna it's gonna do something to your body and that's like, that's why they want you there in the hospital because they're going to help you control it. Lina Hidalgo, the Harris County judge in Houston, offered $100 cash cards to residents who get vaccinated during the month of August. The measure is help mitigate another medical crisis that Texas is facing, a shortage of nurses. So in mortality, hospitalization, uh, our numbers are definitely increasing. Medical experts are alerting that their contingency that Texas is going through could last for weeks and possible for months. If we don't make significant headway in getting people vaccinated and in trying to protect ourselves by doing the public health measures that we know work, this will go on and on and on. The state of Texas opened nine centers for antibody treatments to treat patients who have tested positive and prevent them from going to the hospitals. In McAllen, Texas, Pedro Rojas, U News. New Yorkers will have to get used to showing their vaccination card if they want to participate in the public life of the city. The rule requiring proof of vaccination to enter restaurants and other public places in New York went into effect yesterday. For now, though, the measure is in the adaptation phase. But as Gianni Aponte tells us, starting in November, rather in September, there will be fines for those who do not comply. Can you show me your card? The authorities call it the key to New York City. It is the vaccination card now required to go to restaurants and bars or to enter museums, movie, cinemas and theaters. First is to check the ID against the vaccination card to see if they match. If it doesn't match, the person is not accepted. This is one of the restaurants that implemented practices two days to comply with the new rules. There were clients that did not want to show us their vaccination card. They wanted to be believed that they were vaccinated. Inconveniences that businesses' owners are trying to address while imposing this new requirement. If businesses do not comply in a month, they could face a fine of $1,000, the first offense, and $2,000 for a second one. Many say they don't have the card with them or the picture ID. Also, it hasn't happened to us, but it is said that there are fake vaccination cards that we don't know how to identify yet. Unvaccinated customers will still be able to sit outside. 
But to go to the restroom, he or she has to wear the mask. That's the only requirement. You go to the bathroom and then go back again outside because you can't dine inside. Some restaurant owners think it will affect their business. The vast majority did not get the help and still have debts. Outside some restaurants, vehicles have been set up to administer the vaccine. Reported by Blanca Rosa Vilches, this is Gianni Aponte for U News. The return to school attendance during the pandemic brings with it not only the debate on the use of health protocols in the classroom, but also the prevention of contagions during school transportation. Grecia Lastra reports about the different protective measures available for the safety of our children. As schools gradually return to classes while the pandemic continues, Morning. school districts are making sure that their buses are not a vehicle for contagion. The superintendent of this public charter school in California says they are the first in the nation to use LED lights on their buses. Off, on, off. To protect students from the coronavirus. This is the kind of light that kills all microbes, kills COVID, kills flu, kills whatever is on the walls, the windows and the chairs. He says that they also change the air system in their vehicles. We have special air conditioning, just like the airplanes, that is cleaning the air all the time that the children are here. Lourdes Clea has been driving school buses in Broward County, Florida, for 14 years. And she says that in her bus, the children can only sit in the places marked with bright colored tape to keep social distance. What has changed is how the children sit. One child is in one seat, the other is in another separated, and the cleanliness. Now every night they come and they do their cleaning. Orlando Alonso is administrative director of the Miami-Dade County School Transportation Department. The buses they have will travel with an open window on each side. All the buses have dispensaries so that the moms can wash themselves and the children. Sandra Martinez has been a school bus driver for more than two decades in Florida and says that they are equipped to deal with the pandemic. We provide mask products to clean the buses, disinfectants to disinfect the bus, sanitizer for the children's hands and gloves for the drivers. Reported by Vilma Tarasona in Miami, this is Grecia Lastra reporting for U News. It looks like a majority of Americans are in favor of masks in schools. A new poll reveals that nearly 70% of Americans support local school districts requiring the use of masks. The data comes from Axios Ipsos as states continue to battle over the limitations and ban on mask mandates. It also found that 64% of Americans support state and local governments requiring masks in public. About half of people polled say their employer is requiring masks at work, but only 16% say their employers require vaccination. The survey shows Republicans are going against the grain with only 44% in support of masks, while 92% of Democrats are in favor. The death toll is rising in Haiti as victims of Saturday's earthquake suffer from a slow and hampered response. The 7.2 quake left at least 1,900 people dead and more than 6,900 injured. That toll is expected to rise in the coming days, but search and rescue efforts are being hampered by a lack of resources and heavy rains, which have caused mudslides locking roads in the region.
And on the west coast of this fire near Lake Tahoe in California grew more than 20,000 acres on Tuesday alone. Cal Fire says the Caldor fire is 0% contained. It's burned more than 30,000 acres. Emergency officials say almost 7,000 people have been evacuated in that area. It's destroyed more than 80 structures, including a school, a church, and a post office. The National Interagency Fire Center says 104 large fires have burned more than 2 million acres in the U.S. And the Dixie Fire continues to burn in Northern California. So far, it has burned more than 626,000 acres since it began six weeks ago. It's currently 31% contained. The Dixie ranks as the second largest California wildfire on record, surpassed only by the Million Acre Complex Fire of 2020. And parts of Arizona have been hit with devastating weather damage, with the city of Flagstaff having to deal with severe flash flooding. This video shown here shows just how powerful the water was at, as it made its way down neighborhood streets, threatening to overtake sandbags residents had stacked in preparation. In other news now, most people have heard of Coachella, but a new ProPublica story pivots from what you think you know about the world-renowned music festival to focus on the Coachella Valley in California where it takes place. And the star of this show is the climate crisis and a story about how communities can live in the same place but inhabit different worlds. Joining us now is one of the ProPublica reporters on this story. Her name is Liz Weil. Welcome to You News, Liz. Thank you. So one of the fascinating things about this climate story right off the bat is that it takes place in the Coachella Valley in a place called Thermal. What is it about Thermal that drew you in? Thermal drew me in in that it's this tiny place that really embodies what researchers call the climate gap, which is basically a term to describe how different people with different means will experience the climate crisis differently. So there are both lots of agriculture workers who live in mobile homes, who don't have a lot of resources, who work outdoors, who are exposed to the full force of the climate crisis. And then meanwhile, just a few miles away are luxury developments where people are incredibly protected by infrastructure, by money, by an ability to leave if the climate gets uncomfortable. What were your main climate takeaways after seeing such clear disparities between the way the haves and have nots lived and developed in thermal? You know, my big takeaway is that the idea that capitalism is at the core of how we experience the climate crisis is really true in that, you know, as a climate reporter, I talked to a lot of people about that. I had read about that. But to see this place where all that really is separating one family from another in this community is money and power. And so one family has air conditioning and an ability to get up and go the minute they're uncomfortable and jobs that don't mean working outside in the heat. And another family incredibly close by uh, is living in conditions that the climate crisis is making incredibly dangerous. So working outside, uh, living in a home that is nearly impossible to keep cool, that has electricity that all too often catches fire in the heat, that has dust everywhere, giving their children asthma. The things just stack up that it's incredibly hard to protect yourself and your family against without means. 
Talk about what you heard from public officials in the Coachella Valley about the climate gap that exists. Is it a challenge that officials seem able or perhaps even willing to address? What was their feedback? You know, everybody is overwhelmed that the county will tell you that they just don't have the means to fix this for people. Uh, and at the county level, that is true. These are problems that go all the way up and we need the country to get behind solving them. So while there is an awareness for local elected officials in particular, they are of course so pulled <laughs> by their constituents who have money and therefore an ability to help them get reelected. And on the other side, they have constituents that they may they care about tremendously, but they just don't have the power. Many can't even vote. And so even well-meaning officials are really caught and unable to provide their residents with what they need. Now, you also mentioned in the story a study that reveals a four degree temperature gap in 20 southwestern towns between the poorest 10 percent of neighborhoods and the richest 10 percent. When you look at those figures and what you saw right there in Thermal, what are the urgent lessons you believe political leaders need to address before perhaps it's just too late? You know, leaders need to get money into these communities now, and people are trying, but they need the basics. They need good infrastructure. These small communities, and particularly in unincorporated areas, need to get hooked up to municipal water. They need to not be dependent on wells that often have arsenic in them. They need to get all their roads paved. They need to build more low-income housing so that people are in homes, their primary defense against the weather for all of us all the time that can stand up to the conditions that we're in. So people need to fight hard, particularly in these communities that are already super impacted. Liz Weil from ProPublica, thank you so much for your time and reporting. Interesting conversation. Thank you for having me. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the story from home and abroad that matter to you. That would essentially put an end to the longest war in U.S. history. This is the interior of a stash house that we found in this right along today. State authorities recommend avoiding them at night. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. At least 750 firefighters are battling a major blaze in southern France. The fire started Monday in the Var region near the French Riviera, burning more than 12,000 acres. Officials say the flames are not under control yet. About 100 homes have been affected. Firefighters battled a wildfire in wooded hills just outside Jerusalem to keep them away from a hospital on Tuesday as planes and crews fought flames for a third day. The blaze, six miles west of Jerusalem, sent clouds of smoke billowing east. No serious injuries have been reported. An investigation has been launched into the cause of the fires. In Bolivia, burning wildfires turned the sky red in San Matias on Monday as firefighters struggled to tame fierce flames. According to officials, about 60,000 acres of forest have been destroyed in the country so far this year. San Matias' mayor has declared fire-ravaged areas a, quote, disaster zone. 
Hong Kong is getting rid of a plan that shortened quarantine for some visitors. The government says quarantine length will now be 14 or 21 days, depending on where people are coming from and their vaccination status. Previously vaccinated travelers who met specific criteria could have their hotel quarantine shortened to seven days, but officials say that's no longer the case due to the increased risk posed by the Delta variant. Peru's foreign minister resigned on Tuesday after remarks he made about a rebel group that killed tens of thousands of Peruvians sparked outrage, making him the first cabinet member to fall under leftist president Pedro Castillo. 85-year-old Hector Bejar, who in his youth participated in a socialist guerrilla movement, had said he believed the Shining Path rebel group had emerged in part because of backing from the U.S. CIA. About 70,000 people are estimated to have died as government forces battled the, the Shining Path in the 1980s and also in the early 1990s. And several people remain hospitalized after being injured in the explosion that shook an apartment complex in the Mexican capital. At least 13 families lost their homes and are now staying in hotel rooms. Manuel Magalde has more. Six people are still reported to be hospitalized, two of them seriously, such as Carlos Lopez Alanis. His family says that he is in bad physical condition as the roof fell on him, disfiguring his face. Carlos just received 100 stitches all over his body. They are going to do reconstructive facial surgery. The mother and daughter were saved because they were in another house yesterday. They returned to get their belongings. The authorities are monitoring the people who have been hospitalized. So far, they are in a situation of control, and we hope they will be out of this situation soon. Group image managed to enter the building minutes after the explosion, recorded the desperation inside, how people were trying to get out, how the injured were rescued, even in chairs or in blankets like this person who died hours later in the hospital. This one exploded. I don't know. I felt the explosion behind me. According to the authorities, the explosion occurred in, in apartment 307 on the third floor due to a bad installation in a laundry center that let the gas escape after accumulating for six to eight hours. The shock waves went to both sides. That's why on the street side, all the, all the glass in the window frames were immediately ejected. Jose Carlos Rodriguez lives in this building. He managed to save himself because he went to work. He says that the pandemic has been rough. He recently got married and has not been able to go on a honeymoon. He had COVID and now his house is in ruins. We are alive. So now all we have to do is think ahead to build on what we have left and with the people around us. Reported by Alejandro Madrigal, Yunus. Thousands of migrants and asylum seekers are struggling to survive in a port town in northern Colombia while the country is experiencing a severe increase in the flow of travelers seeking to reach the United States by land. Jorge Hernandez has more. Migrants are still flowing into the small municipality of Necocli in the Urabá, Antioquia region of Colombia. Thousands of them, mostly Haitians. The president has now opened the country. I want to work hard and make money. There are also Africans, Cubans, Venezuelans and migrants from other parts of the world. Their movements are restricted. They live in improvised tents and many have fallen victim 
to abuses and scams. No hay plata, no hay casa. There's no money, there's no house. We can't leave. I can't leave and get there. I don't know what happened. They all want to go to the United States. They enter Colombia through Ecuador and arrive with the hope of taking a boat that will take them to Capurgana, another Colombian town, through which they typically enter Panama, crossing the thick and dangerous jungle known as the Darien Gap. The jungle is something else. A lot of dead people, that's what you find in the jungle, and what the river carries away is terrible. There you are faced with death, danger, and risk. Those who are fortunate can make the journey in seven days. Others take a little longer, others turn back, and many do not make it. They are living here 700, 800, and 200 or 300 are arriving there. So what is happening with the migrants during the journey from here to Panama? It's a question that few are willing to answer. Reported by Jacid Baquero, this is Jorge Hernandez, U News. Colombian authorities have already met with their counterparts in Panama and agreed on a controlled flow plan for the thousands of migrants in transit to the United States. In Mexico, the fight between local armed groups and the Jalisco New Generation Cartel in Michoacán has forced residents to flee their homes driven by the terror. There are checkpoints of hired killers in a war of criminal gangs for territory, while state authorities are unable to guarantee security. Azul Álvarez reports. This is a scene at one of the Vigilante checkpoints in Pinolapa, in the Mexican state of Michoacán, with men on 24-hour watch and heavy-caliber weapons guarding destroyed roads full of obstacles so that no one gets through. This type of security has intensified in Michoacán in the last few days, where local armed groups and the Jalisco New Generation Cartel are fighting for territory. All the people left. And what did you leave here? the work making costalitos. This man has been away from his home, located in the municipality of Cualcomán, for two weeks. He left his home with everything he had, as did the people in at least eight villages in the area. In early August, this video circulated on social media, announcing the arrival of members of the Jalisco cartel in the area. People took what little they could and began to walk on the destroyed roads to escape. Porque ni siquiera hay, because there's not even, let's say, uh, the violence that we could imagine. It's exchanges of gunfire from one hill to another. But obviously the people who live in the communities in that area are afraid. And although the governor, Silvano Aureoles, says there is a permanent official security presence throughout the state, the only people patrolling the roads are armed men in their pickup trucks. That's why, through Tierra Caliente, the number of self-defense groups have multiplied. They want to strip us of our property. Many of us have already been killed. Others run off. Out of desperation, the residents of Colcomán held a mass in one of the ditches dug by the cartels to pray to God that at least he will not leave them alone. Reported by Jessica Cermeño in Mexico City, this is Azul Álvarez, U News. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.